the reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, uh, starting to read at verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commanded as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from, his, from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly speak, that only, that earnestly speak him, seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I go forward to verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they did not... because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be illustrated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward ahead to his reward. By faith, he left, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptian tried to do so, they were drowned. We are pursuing a series in the life of Moses, particularly from the book of Exodus. And uh, what we're doing tonight, whilst we've been projecting our thoughts forward, now we're looking, looking back. And the perspective of that reading was um, looking back on the life of Moses and the things that the people of God then and now can learn from what we call those um, heroes of faith, if you like. So, thus far in this series of what we're calling the Exit Strategy, we've looked at the life of Moses, and we have considered the oppressed people, 400 years under the yoke of uh, uh, Pharaoh, and a harsh treatment of the people of God. And then what I call the untimely 
birth of Moses. And timely in the sense that Pharaoh had issued a decree that all the male children should be killed and bringing a male child into, into a culture where there was infanticide would be a nightmare for parents, an untimely birth. You can imagine the parents of Moses saying, why didn't we have a little girl? And then this apparent untimely birth in the providence of God finds himself adopted into the house of Pharaoh. And uh, then the call think that Moses just one night had a flash of lightning and he had a call and everything came together. I think this would have been rumbling, working away in his mind and heart for many, many years. And then Moses is given an incredible commission. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Imagine Moses almost saying, you can't be serious. But God was. And the events then, the instituting of the Passover. A very strange thing uh, that should take place. Unusual, hard to understand. And tonight, from uh, the perspective of Hebrews 12, I want us to look at faith as it is it influenced Moses, and indeed, more particularly, uh, how it relates to us. So that's the big word that we'll run through tonight, faith. And the, the subheading is the verge of Jordan. If you were to go back to Exodus 14, which is the background to the sermon, then you see how God had delivered uh, the people. And that's a very um, evocative statement, isn't it, from that uh, great hymn, Guide Me, or the great Redeemer, when I tread the verge of Jordan. Sometimes people see that as a, an illustration of death, of uncertainty. I'm entering into the unknown. And those words, bid my anxious fears subside. I was quoting that in the hospice this past week. That's true of all of us in life. There is that unknown. And here is Moses on the cusp of Great things, but he doesn't know what the outcome is on the verge of Jordan. So this idea of faith is a very important one for us. And as we've seen from the life of Moses, faith will never grow in some sort of vacuum. Faith will never grow apart from the stresses of life, the strains of human experience, the disappointments, the trials, the hardships. The, 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 the lack of answers to prayer, the apparent disappointment with God that he has led us into some blind cul-de-sac. And in this world, we will never know why it should be. But faith, stretched, strained, under great trial oftentimes, comes through stronger that doesn't make us masochists, but it does say that that is how our faith grows. If you like, like a, like a muscle, it must be stretched. And this idea of stretching and strengthening, if we don't use our muscle, the cliche, isn't it? If you don't use it, you lose it. It'll just atrophy. It'll just dissipate. So, in a sense, the whole of Hebrews 11 is God's gymnasium. This is a workout. This is wellness, spiritually. Spiritually. 
So we're not flabby. We're not, we're, we're not um, carrying too much weight. We're not people who just simply are lethargic about our Christian faith. And sometimes God has got to lead us into that because we would much prefer uh, a quiet life. And so what you have uh, here in this um, introduction to Hebrews 1 to 6, it, it reveals four elements of faith. Just look at these very quickly and, and keep um, Hebrews 11 open in front of you. These uh, four elements of faith. The first is that faith involves being sure or confident. Now, it's not self-confidence. We're thinking about that this morning. It's confidence in God. It's a conviction that God is who he says he is. So, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. That is a big ask in a rational, secular society. That's a big ask. The literal meaning of this word, um, being sure, means to stand under. And it often refers to a foundation. You don't see a foundation of a building. You certainly see its effects if it is dodgy. And the building begins to creak and crack. This idea of stability. Faith is being sure. Yes, it has legitimate doubts, uncertainties, unanswered questions, unanswered prayers. For sure it has that. And yet it is being sure. And if we were to follow in the steps of Moses, you'll see how often he struggled and, and, and had to cope with disappointment with himself and with God's people and often, as he saw it, with the Lord as well. The second thing of, of faith is, and this is an important thing, um, it always relates the present to the future. One of the great dangers, of course, of some people is this, that it's easy to live in the past. It's safe, but it's sterile, and that's the danger. And you find it, often people who live in the past, they'll often say, well, if only. And there's a sort of a wistfulness, but it's incredibly unproductive. Faith relates the present to the future. And you see it again in verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. There is always a not yet with every Christian. If you meet a Christian who's got it all now, I think you should question uh, it, it, it's not like that. We don't have it all now. There is a legitimate not yet about the authentic Christian faith. Thirdly, faith has as its object, and this is a big ask, but there it is, of things not seen. There is a not yet, a legitimate one. And when we focus on the unseen, we develop that ability to, to see the hand of God at work in our life and other people's lives. And then finally, faith is basic to pleasing God. That's what you have there in, in verse uh, 6, for example. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So you see those four basics foundational, if you like. So when we talk about faith, we're not talking about faith in faith. Or we're not talking about wishful thinking. Or we're not saying keep your fingers crossed. No, we're talking about faith that, is, that, that has substance and meaning and conviction and strength. So what I'd like to do in the sermon, just say two things, um, which is the heart of what we are doing here tonight. Two things. One is negative and the other is positive. But these two things about not just faith, but the decisions of faith. 
the outworking of faith. As we live out our lives, uh, oftentimes we make decisions and we don't know and we have to trust and believe. So the first one is negative, which we look at verses 24 to 26, and the other one is positive in the next two verses. So that's our focus. First of all, then, what's the negative? Well, faith has, if you like, a refusal to pursue the sinful. We were singing this morning, and uh, perhaps it's not so obvious, but uh, even 240 years ago, Wesley had to compose Charles Wesley, take away the love of sinning. Why do we sin? Because we enjoy it. And it's so easy, isn't it? Because we are at best saved sinners to that it becomes a part of us, a lifestyle. If you like, it is a bit of a negative, but faith as a refusal to pursue the selfish. So much of our society, our culture is I, me, my. And it's rather tiresome. So you see here in verse 26, and it's quite, uh, it's, it's quite incredible really. Just look at this again, that the decision that Moses made. He, it, was a, it was a measured, calculated uh, decision, the decision of faith. Verse 24, look at this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, it's like being a member of the royal family and saying... No. It, it is quite extraordinary. Um, let me try to get you to think about this for a moment, right? This, so, verse 24, and it's followed verse 25. He chose, he chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. It was his choice, and it's a choice of faith. What was... What, What's the context of this? Let me quote to you uh, this old book that I have, F.B. Meyer, and he's saying this. What a magnificent land Egypt must have been in those days with the hieroglyphic of which the records speak. The atmosphere was rainless, almost was utopian. The Nile brought from afar the rich alluvial soil that bore corn enough to feed the world. Don't forget, that's how the children of Israel came to Egypt. The banks of the river were covered with cities, villages, stately temples, and all the evidence of an advanced civilization that even today tourists go and stand in awe of these pyramids. And then he goes on to say this, the cream of all this was poured on the lap of Moses. He was brought up in the palace and treated as the grandson of Pharaoh. And quoting the historians, he said, if he rode forth in the streets, it would be in his pricely epicage where the cities would bow the knee and say, Hail Moses. If he floated on the Nile, it would be a golden barge with the strain of voluptuous music. Moses had everything. And humanly speaking, he gave up the very best and embraced the absolute pits, the worst. I don't know if you would want to do that. But he did. And he goes on to give example about his education and the culture and the kudos and the wealth So, when 
you, you read in the Bible, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose the ill treatment along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. That is a choice of faith. And if you say you're a Christian and you've embraced Jesus Christ, there are some legitimate things that you have to let go. That's how it is. Now, although Moses then was at home in the palace, his heart was with the people of God. And as he grew older, the dictates of his heart or of faith determined a different course and a different destiny. And people thought that you're mad. And it was a dangerous course and a dangerous destiny. Now picture the torment, the dilemma of Moses. He didn't just suddenly decide to do this in a whim. He is a Hebrew within and he's an Egyptian without. I remember uh, uh, a young lad coming to see me who was born of a mixed race. And he was complaining about his adopted parents who loved him very much. And he said to me, which I never forgot, he said, they've turned me into a bounty. I said, whatever do you mean? He said, I'm brown on the outside, white on the inside. I don't know who I am or what I am. Well, in a way, that's Moses. I'm sure the household of Pharaoh were kind to him. There's no indication of that, of course, until he embraced the Jewish people. What an insult, what an offense to Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt. This is no mean thing. There's no easy believism, which is such a, a feature oftentimes of people who say, I'm a Christian. So there's the torment, there's the dilemma of Moses. He could have been embracing the selfish, but it would be at the cost of the spiritual, and he chose. Now I want to give you the dilemma. Stay with that for a moment. This is a classic um, dilemma of an authentic Christian. What I'd like you to do is to turn to Romans chapter 7. There you have, you've got it in front of you. I want you to think about this. Put your thinking caps on for a moment, okay? Just try to see that uh, we're using Moses here. He, we, we're picturing his dilemma, uh, a Hebrew within, uh, an Egyptian without. All the, the pleasures of Egypt and the squalor of a Jewish people who are a stiff-necked people, hard to live with. I mean, it's no choice at all, really, is it? But what I want us to do is to see how an authentic struggle of an authentic Christian, if you haven't experienced this, can I question with you in a positive way if you tr truly, really know the Lord Jesus? Struggling with sin, that was Moses' conflict. So it's Romans 7 and verse 7 for a moment, just to get the context, okay? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? If somebody says you shouldn't do that, well then you are wrong. No, indeed not. I would not have known what sin was, except that through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was, if the law had not sin, said, you shall not covet. So here's the struggle. Now, what, what we're interested in is verse 21. It's a summary of this struggle. And I'm suggesting to you that this is the struggle of Moses. And this is an authentic expression of a living, vibrant faith. I hope that you know this. 
And if you do, this will encourage you. And if you don't, it ought to discourage you to ask, am I really trusting in Jesus Christ? Or have I somehow just embraced something in my mind? So, verse 21. I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Picture Moses' dilemma. Now think of yourself. For, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin, which is at work in the members, my members. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And then life in the spirit. There's no condemnation. Which was of course the conversion hymn of Charles Wesley. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head. And so on. Now I think that was the struggle of Moses. We're trying to put it in a New Testament way. And where you have a true faith, you will have the struggle of faith, which is an integral part of working out our salvation. So it's a refusal to pursue the sinful, as you have it there. Making choices. So, faith... Isn't based on feelings, it includes them, but it's not based on it. It isn't based on emotions, it includes them, but more. You see what those words are so carefully recorded for us. Coming back to Hebrews uh, 11, verse 25, he measured, he considered, he sat down, he made a calculated assessment. He says, This is going to impact my life, this decision is going to be quite profound. There are consequences if I embrace the God of Israel, if I say Jesus is Lord, seeing him who is invisible. That's the negative, if you like. It's a necessary one, and you shouldn't be afraid of it. But it's also followed by a positive one. Look in verses 27 to 28, and this is the second. If the first is a refusal to live in a sort of a subculture of, of selfishness, then the alternative is this, to resolve to keep a clear vision. Know what you think, know what you believe. The clear vision in this sense. Look at verse 27 and let it speak to you. Here it is. By faith he, Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. I mean, the king could have killed him. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Who is that? Well, of course, we know now this is, this is the Lord Jesus. Now then, and this is where you come, and of course, in terms of symbolism and anticipating the cross, verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Moses knew the culture of which he was born into knew it better than anybody else. Its buildings, its sheer magnificence, still to this day, the seventh wonder of the world. And yet, by faith, 
He was resolved to leave it behind. He really believed that there was something greater and better than all of that. Isn't that amazing? And his vision? Is he being clever? No. He saw him who is invisible. Have you seen Jesus? I haven't. I see him who is invisible. That's the vision of the Christian. And for that reason, seeing him, I'm willing to let go of other things. Just let them fall away. You see, the life of faith is a journey. It is a journey. And there are many pitfalls and disappointments and dark valleys and dangers. Of course, it's a pilgrimage. And the whole point is you don't know what lies ahead. But you know this. You see him who is invisible. You have embraced Jesus Christ. You've confessed him as Lord. Now, a vital element of faith, then, uh, from verse 27, is, surely, seeing the unseen. Seeing the unseen. Now, of course, in a sense, it's almost a contradiction, but it isn't. Just turn over uh, a few pages to 1 Peter. Here's a different context. The church is struggling under a mad emperor, a bit like Gaddafi, if you like. And people are afraid, and these Christians are being falsely accused, and Peter the Apostle is writing to them. And, and there you have it in, in, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 8. And the language of faith is just the same. There it is. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Same language. Whether it's Egypt or Moses. Then or now. We are seeing him who is unseen. That's the element of faith. And secondly. We are obeying the unusual. We are seeing the unseen. What is the unusual? Well, the Passover. <laughs> Come back to, to Hebrews again. I mean, Moses kept the Passover. I mean, to the, to the Egyptians, this is absolutely absurd. And there was a great lament in Egypt that the firstborn had perished. Do you know, I was preparing this sermon. I reflected on when I was, uh, I think I was about six years of age. It was a long time ago. And uh, we, we used to have a, a children's evangelist. And uh, I used to love that. We didn't have television in those days. And uh, he used to bring a flannel graph. You know a flannel graph? Yes, some of you are old enough. It's brilliant. And he spoke to us and he frightened me, I think, was influential in me becoming a Christian at six. And it was this. That he spoke about the Passover. Reflecting on this. I had a flashback to childhood days. And um, he spoke like this. There would be some Israelite parents who would reason like this. You know, God would understand. We've, uh, you know, we short of cash at the moment and the lamb is quite expensive. So what we were going to do, and he, he painted this picture for us and he put it on the flannel graph. We are going to put a lamb outside 
And what we're going to do, we're going to tie this lamb outside the door. And God would understand. And then he said, do you know what some people even did? They tied a red ribbon around the lamb. Because that would symbolize blood. And that way we get to keep the lamb. And he gave all these examples. And he said, what happened in the next day? There wasn't only death among the Egyptians, but among the Israelites as well. Symbolism isn't enough. Well-meaning isn't enough. Fancy speaking like that to children. You frighten the life out of you. You see the point he's making? Unless there is, there is the covering of blood, there is no forgiveness. And what is, what is Moses thinking about here? This unusual, difficult thing to understand. It's the Passover. And when the angel of death comes, you're safe. It's the covering of the covenant of the blood between God and man, and we are reconciled. Fear and faith, death and life, are together in the pilgrimage of faith. And they are not a contradiction. And you... If you have embraced this Lord Jesus, you need to sit down and make that calculation. He considered, he made a measured decision, leaving the opulence of Egypt and the squalor of Israel, and it was a better choice by far. It doesn't seem like it. Now, are you like that? Or is it just simply a faith of convenience? You know, there are things that are hard to understand. Um, Noah's Ark, build a boat in a desert. It's not a good idea. Abraham waited so long for a child, and God says, take your child and put Isaac on the altar and slay your child. That's not very good, is it? See, to the Egyptians, the Passover is absurd and foolish. Come on, get a life. To the believing Israelites, the Passover is their only salvation. And they will get a life. And the issue is faith or unbelief. Yes, Moses was an Egyptian without. And he was a Hebrew within. But the one had to give way to the other, ultimately. Jesus, that immortal sermon, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either love the one or reject the other. And so, in this life of faith, we conclude by saying this. In Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, which is the summing up of all these people who have gone before, therefore, and that was the point of the opening hymn, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses for all the saints who from their labors rest. Some may have gone prematurely ahead of us. Fair enough, but they have. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let's throw off everything that hinders. And there you have it. That's what Moses did. And the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's see him who is unseen. Verse 2, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And you can't help but think there's a parallel here. 
the real issue is, is it faith or is it unbelief that will separate the people of God? And finally, what's the application for today if it isn't obvious already? Just to conclude, we need to have the discernment it takes to refuse the sinful. Or maybe it's the determination, the discipline to refuse the sinful. And faith must overshadow my feelings. You can imagine Moses struggling, leaving all the, the sheer excellence and the beauty of Egypt and joining with a ragbag of slaves and whinging people who complained, who were stiff-necked. What a choice. Church sometimes seems like that, doesn't it? To have the discernment it takes to refuse the sinful and to have the discipline that it takes to do the unusual. That's what we're called to. Faith must silence the critics. This is our calling. This is where it's at. And Moses made those, those, th those three decisions, as you find it summarized in Hebrews 11. He left the familiar. He refused the sinful. And he did the unusual. And for you, the unusual for you may well be different to me. Or maybe your struggles with sin are different to my struggles. Egypt or heaven. He's on the verge of Jordan. And the hymn writer would say, yes, now let your anxious fears subside. Trust me. That's all you've got. But it's enough. It's enough.